So I got to go a little old school on you for a moment, okay? Back when I was in school, maybe, maybe you can relate with this. Back when I was in school, in about first grade, they would teach us how to tell time. You know, and the way it worked is the teacher would come out with a little uh, paper plate, and they'd give you a couple arrows, one long one, one small one, and a brass clasp, you know, and you'd just kind of clasp those arrows to the middle of the plate, and then you could draw the numbers around the outside of the plate, and you just do the arrows, and you learn to tell time. But, you know, now we live in the digital age, and so in the digital everything, time anymore, now time just tells us, you know what I mean? Like, we have an alert for everything. A buzz goes off in the morning, tells me it's time to get up. I got a little notification on my phone. It tells me I have a meeting coming up or that I have an email to write. I get a notification telling me that it's Mother's Day, so I can be sure to tell all of you moms out there, happy Mother's Day and how much we appreciate you. And you would think with all of these uh, gadgets and gizmos and this digital age that we'd be really good at telling time. But the fact is we're not. We're not really too good at telling time. I mean, sure, maybe we could still look at a clock and just look and say, oh, it's 1029. Although my watch is digital, this is digital, everything's basically digital. But, um, but we're not that good because, you know, the Greeks, they had two words for time. The one was chronos. That's what I'm looking at. Chronos time. That's where we get the word chronology. Just tells us we look and we say, okay, that's what time it is. But they had another word for time. The other word was kairos, kairos time. And kairos means the right time, just the right moment. And so it's, it's just the right time to deliver the punchline of a joke. You know, just the right moment that you go to pick the fruit that's ripened on the tree. Just the right time, guys, to know when to be quiet and shut your mouth, okay, if you're married. But this is kairos time. And, we, and so the thing is, we just don't tell time too well. Like knowing what time it is, when is just the right time to share the gospel and explain our faith. But Paul, he was a master at it. He could tell time really well. So we've been kind of traveling with Paul through his missionary journey. We're in the book of Acts this morning. Go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 21. And We're going through a series called The Unstoppable Church. Acts 21, 17 through 21. And just as a reminder, Paul at this point, he's, he's on his third missionary journey. Okay, he's on his third one. He'd just been in Ephesus for a long time, only intended to stay there for a few months. He ended up staying there for a little over three years. And then he left Ephesus and he was on his way to Jerusalem. And all of his friends and companions and everybody with them, they're telling Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul in Jerusalem, they want to arrest you. Paul in Jerusalem, they're going to be out to get you. Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, he goes to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 21. And it says this, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, related one by one with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who had believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are coming among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, Moses. 
telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So just stop there for a moment. This, this is an official meeting, you see. Paul arrives, his entire missionary team, the ensemble, they, they get in front of James. He's the lead elder of the church in Jerusalem. And James, he already had a bit of notoriety by this time. You remember the epistle that James wrote? It was already in circulation for about 10 years at this point. So he has a bit of esteem. He's probably the lead elder in this church in Jerusalem. And many believe that this church, they set up 70 elders to oversee the thousands of people. The Jerusalem church was a mega church. Okay, it, had, it numbered in the thousands. It was growing because healthy things grow. And so this church is growing, and it's big, and it's huge. And so it's going to take 70 elders to kind of oversee everything. And Paul, he gets in front with his missionary team in front of all these men, in front of all these elders. And I just imagine, if I were one of those those men there, that I would have wanted to be on the edge of my seat, you know, just listening to Paul as he tells his tales of all the travels he's been on and the encounters that he's had. I mean, you think about what he's been through and how he must have told them how he was in prison and that earthquake came and it just set him free and the miraculous escape there and the Gentiles who were coming to faith and the new churches that were being planted and how he had gone from place to place and being arrested and being beaten and how he was brought to the edge of his life but how God saw him through all of it. And now all these Gentiles have come to faith and this is such exciting news. So much to celebrate. But it seems as if the Jewish leaders miss it. I mean, they, they, they jump in, they glorify God, they say, that's great, that's great. Oh, and Paul, you've got to hear, we have thousands of Jews coming to faith here, and they are zealous for the law. And you look at that, and you think, well, Paul's out here reaching unreached people, zealous people who've never heard the gospel before, and these Gentiles are zealous for Jesus. And the Jewish leaders are excited because they've got thousands of Jews who believe and now they're zealous for the law. And they're saying, this is really something to be excited about. You can almost fear the air, feel the air go out of Paul's balloon, can't you? Just as if he's looking, he's, oh, oh, you guys are missing it. You guys are missing it. What have I walked into? We're the same way, though. You know, you think about it. What are the things that you get really excited about? What are the things that you just can't wait to share with someone that just comes, overflows out of your heart that, oh man, as soon as I have a conversation with someone, I've got to tell them this. And we tend to get really excited about sports or politics or the favorite show that we've watched or our friends and our family or church or whatever. And all these things are good things. They're not bad things at all. They're, they're good things. But if those passions supersede your passion for Jesus. See, understand, the law wasn't a bad thing to be excited about. But if they're more excited about the law than they are Jesus, they've missed it. They've missed it, and we miss it too, because sometimes our passions for good things are elevated above our pa the passion that must be the most important central thing in our life, and that's Jesus Christ. And they tell Paul, they say, hey, all these Jews who love the law so much, you know they've heard about you. And they've heard what you've been teaching and how you've been telling the Gentiles that, hey, you, you don't have to worry about the customs of Moses. And the Jews, they can do away with the customs of Moses. The, the law isn't really that important 
anymore, that you're telling them to abandon the law. You know, the sad part about this story is that it's simply not true. That's not what Paul has preached at all. Paul has been misinterpreted and misunderstood. He had not told the Jews to stop their customs. What he said was that the Jewish rituals were not necessary for salvation. That that was his message, that you were no longer under law, but under grace. But hey, if you still had this moral compulsion to follow the law, you are free to do that. In fact, in Acts 16, Paul told Timothy, a half-Jew, he said, Timothy, you got to be circumcised. If you're going to go preaching the gospel to the Jews, if they're going to take you seriously, you've got to be circumcised. He tells this to Timothy, and now they're telling everybody, all these rumors have spread. Oh, Paul say, don't, don't bother with the customs anymore. Circumcision doesn't matter anymore. There's a difference. You see, these people, they couldn't tell time. They, they thought it was okay to say, hey, have, have you heard all about Paul? Have you heard what he's done? Have you heard what he's teaching? And in turn, they turn all the Jews against Paul, all these rumors start. You know, Paul's telling people to do away with Moses. You can just go ahead and throw away your Old Testament. It doesn't matter anymore. That's what Paul's saying. It's an ugly, vicious rumor. And it poisoned the Jerusalem church, thousands and thousands of Jews against Paul. So this highlights the danger of exaggerations and rumors and gossip. One of Satan's favorite tactics is to get you to complain about people to other people. That's one of his favorite things to do, to get you to start talking about other people to somebody else instead of going directly to that person. And we can do that all the time, you know, because we, 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 we want people on our side, you know, as if there's sides to take. And we want people, hey, I want you to sympathize with me. I want you to believe the way I do. I want you to think the way I do about this person. And so we tell our friends, we tell our spouses, we tell people, hey, this is how they've wronged me. And we turn people against people. Whereas Jesus says, hey, if you have an issue with someone, you go directly to that person. You don't go to anybody else. You go directly to that person. You feel like someone's wronged you, you go to that person. And then if there's an issue, then if it doesn't get resolved, then you go to somebody else and you say, hey, can you help me? i got to make things right with this. And there's a spirit of humility and respect with which you do it. You don't start gossiping, you don't start rumors because you see where it leads here. you got a whole church, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, now poisoned against Paul because no one took the time to write Paul a letter. And say, Paul, is it true that this is what you're teaching? Is, is this what you're telling us now? Because if someone would have just taken the time, then they could have heard from Paul. See, Paul, he's miles away. And without any knowledge of what's going on back in Jerusalem, his character and his mission are being run into the ground by gossip. And so the church leaders say, well, what are we going to do about this? I mean, you're, you're here now, Paul, and there's all these people, and none of them like you. So we've got to figure something out. And, you know, following Paul at this point, you would think that, hey, you know, Paul can tell time. And at this point, he's probably going to want to just jump in and launch into a sermon and say, hey, you know, what, what, what do you mean what needs to be done? Now's the time to proclaim in unity that we are for grace. We can take this giant step together. It's okay for the J. What we mean 
about the law and what we mean about grace and why it's okay for the Gentiles not to practice all your laws. But hey, you Jews, if you want to continue in these laws and customs, it's okay. But Paul doesn't do that. Because Paul could tell time. He knew this wasn't just the right moment yet. And so instead of launching in, he lets the elders of the Jerusalem church dictate to him what they think should be done. And they say, Paul, I think the best thing you can do to try to win over some of these people, if you just become like the Jews, if you'll just kind of adopt some of our customs, some of our practices, after all, you are a Jew, Paul, so if you can just, you can just worship in our way a little bit, this might lend some credibility and people might, you know, be a little okay with it. They might accept you a little more. So Paul goes along with the plan, but instead of winning the Jews over, he just infuriates them. And they start screaming, hey, here's Paul. He, he's against us. And now he's even brought these Gentiles into the temple to defile the temple. Look at what he's doing. He's defiling this holy place. And so they have Paul arrested, and they, they want Paul killed. They're beating him. A cohort of Roman soldiers comes along and they step in as Paul's being beaten to the edge of his life. And they take Paul in custody. And the, the, the Roman commander, he's trying to figure out just who Paul is anyway. And he's trying to talk to him. But the people are screaming so loud that he can't even hear Paul. The Roman commander, he's excited because he thinks he's captured this Egyptian leader really an Egyptian gang leader. This gang is called the Assassins, and they've been going around Jerusalem. They've been killing Jews. They've been killing Romans. And he's all excited because he thinks he's caught the big fish. And then Paul speaks to him in Greek, and the Roman commander realizes, okay, this isn't the guy. This isn't that Egyptian gang leader after all. And he's bummed out because he didn't really make the big arrest. He didn't get the guy on the FBI's top ten, you know. It's just Paul and Paul could tell time. And so he seized the opportunity, he seized the moment, and he asked the commander, hey, commander, would it be all right if I just addressed the crowd for a moment? And the commander said, sure, that, that would be okay. And so he steps in front, and he, he's able to calm the crowd down so that Paul is able to speak. And when Paul speaks, he's always ready with his story. And he's ready to use his testimony to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to see it. Acts 22, verses 1 through 5. And he says, So Paul's speaking. And he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that Paul was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I, pers I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness." From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now Paul, he can tell time, you know. 
And he doesn't just defend himself against these allegations. He doesn't just start saying, hey, this, that's not what I was doing. I wasn't preaching against Moses or the law or anything like that. He just starts in and he uses his testimony to share the gospel. But I want to make sure that you see the skill in which he uses his story, okay? And, and hey, if you know Jesus, you have a story, of how you were dead and brought to life, so you can use these same skills. But he speaks to the commander in Greek, remember that? But then as he gets in front of the crowd and all these Jews, he begins speaking to them in their language. He speaks to them in the Hebrew language, Aramaic. And so and he starts by saying, brothers and fathers. Now, I don't know, if, if it were you, I don't, if it were me, I think I would be up front, and if I'm addressing these people who just beat me to the just to the edge of my life, I think I might be saying, you know, you guys are an unruly mob. You guys are crazy people. I mean, look at what you're doing. If I die, my blood's on your heads because you guys are nuts. But Paul knows that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so he starts in and he says, brothers and fathers. He treats them with gentleness and respect. I mean, these people just tried to kill him. And he speaks to them in their language, and he speaks to them respectfully. He honors them. And the crowd, they they quiet down at that moment. Because all of a sudden, now now they're going to give this guy an ear. Now now this guy's worthy to be listened to. Before, they were just shouting, away with him, away with him. We want him gone. They, They just wanted him killed. But now, all of a sudden, he's able to build this bridge to where they're willing to listen to them. His gentle, respectful approach, it worked, and they listened. And then he begins his testimony. And notice again, he's just building a bridge so that they can relate to him. He shares something about his life before Christ. And he says hey, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew just like you. I'm a Jew. And I studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel, he was the foremost respected Jewish rabbi. And so they're looking at him and all of a sudden, well, this is getting interesting. He's a Jew. He he studied under your Gamaliel. And then he says, he was zealous for God And did you catch that next line? Just like them. Just like them. Paul is attributing to this mob the best possible motive. Do you see that? They tried to kill him, and he verbalizes, hey, I understand why. I understand why. You're zealous for God. And so... He publicly, in front of all these people, he gives them the benefit of the doubt. Hey, you're just trying to protect the honor of God. I I get that. You know, this is the same thing that Jesus did when he was on the cross. Same thing. He, He just prayed and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is pretty much the same thing Paul's saying. You're zealous for God. You just don't understand in your zeal that you've got it wrong. Do you have the humility to identify with sinful people, with evil people? Do you have the humility to treat them respectfully and gently and and to put yourself on their level? Or do you somehow see yourself as more moral or better or superior in any kind of way? See, Paul knew his sin. 
And he knew the only reason that he was redeemed had nothing to do with himself. That it was all Jesus. And he knew that anything productive, anything eternal, anything good that came out of his ministry had nothing to do with him. That it all came out of a relationship with Jesus. Paul gets this. And so he's got no problem just getting right on their level. Saying, hey, I I was a lot like you. I was a Jew. I I wanted the best Jewish rabbi to teach me. I was zealous for God. I, I was persecuting Christians just like you were, the way that was the term for Christians at that time. I wanted to see them bound and killed. I was just like you. See, he builds a bridge. The gospel and identify with him. If you go back and you looked at how Paul shared the gospel to the Athenians in Athens, if you remember that, Paul doesn't talk about his Jewish history and all this. Why? Because that's not going to build a bridge to Athenian people. They're Gentiles. They don't care anything about his Jewish past. So there he quotes Athenian godless poets. He says, hey, they're godless. They don't have any, but, but they stumbled onto a little bit of wisdom here. And so he uses them. You use the first part of your story just to build a, test, build a bridge so that they can identify and they can say, you know what, this guy might be onto something. I think I'll give this guy a listen. So he becomes human to these people. Just a guy they can relate to, just, just another guy. Use your life before Christ to build a bridge to the people you're sharing with. And then Paul transitions to how he became a Christian. Okay, look at this. Verses 6 through 16. Paul says, As I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know him, be a witness, be the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I want you to see here that Paul gets very specific in how he came to Christ. Do you notice that? He goes through all of the details, gives them all the specifics. I've trained quite a few people on mission trips and how to share their testimony. And one common problem that I've observed a lot is people tend to get real specific about their life before Christ. Especially adults who were saved a little later in life. They got all the gory details of all the ugliness of their life before Christ. And they give you all those details. And then when it comes to how they were saved, it's usually like one line. Then I believed in Jesus and I got saved. 
You know, I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's like one line. Notice how Paul does it. He gave you all of three verses about his life before Christ. Okay, There's not a lot of detail there. Just a few general specifics. I mean, he had a lot more information he could have poured in. He didn't. He just used it enough to build a bridge to become relatable. And then when he choose, chose to get specific, is about how he came to Christ. And he gives all the details here. And I know part of it is we look at this, we say, you know, if I came to Christ the way Paul did, I mean... I'd be telling all those details too. This is incredible. A light shining from heaven and then Jesus coming and speaking and being led by the hand and then this guy comes and he tells me and I'd want to share all those details too. Let me encourage you that before you came to Christ, you were dead. Okay, spiritually dead. And being taken from death to life, you can't get a bigger miracle than that. Okay, and so we give those details, and we want to we share the context in which that salvation took place. We want to share the content exactly of what we believe so that people can understand, okay, this is what I'm trusting in. It's not just some throwaway line, hey, you know, and then I believe. No, I want to give the specifics. This is what I trusted in. See, if God has given you new life in Jesus, you've got these details and you get to share them. It's a privilege. Give the specifics. Spend more time on how you came to Christ than your life before Christ. The context of where you were saved, the content exactly of what you believed. And after Paul shares all this, that's when he moves into what his life has looked like since. Of what got through 29. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I, am, I, I imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they had listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought back into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I Brought this citizenship, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had, been, and that he had bound him. So Paul, he starts to describe his life after Christ, and he's saying, hey, God had plans for me. Jesus had plans for me. But I knew myself. I knew what I was like before Christ. And so I began protesting. And I was, I, everyone knows me. 
That they know the shame that I brought upon your name. How could you possibly use me for anything? And then as he's sharing, God commissions him and he says, no, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. You got to get out of Jerusalem. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, do you see what happened? The people just stopped listening. This intense hatred uh, that the Jewish people had towards Gentiles just comes boiling over. Do you see? These are highly racist people. They're happy to listen to Paul as long as he's talking about his Jewish heritage. They're even okay listening to Paul as he talks about how he came to Christ. But as soon as he mentions that God has sent him, that God has called him to the Gentiles, all their racism, all their hatred, it just comes boiling over and they can't stand it anymore. And they say, this guy doesn't even deserve to live. This is how ugly their sin was, okay? And these are the same people who Paul just moments before is treating with the utmost respect. And he's calling them brothers and fathers. Do you you see how he treats his enemies? See, Paul's contention, the gospel that Paul had shared was that we are all one race, That we are one human race. And in the creativity of God's design, that one race is expressed through multiple ethnicities. That this is the beauty of God's design. But sinful humanity, instead of looking at the beauty of God's diversity, tends to point out differences. Tends to say, well, you're here and you're like this and you're like this and you're like this. This is why the unity of the body of Christ is so beautiful. Because we gather together as one one multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-economic church. It is such a powerful witness to a watching world because the world is divisive. Always looking at our differences instead of the beauty with which God has created his people. And Paul, Paul, he's saying this is the gospel that he has preached. And now they're hearing that he was sent to the Gentiles And all they're saying is, we're so much better than the Gentiles. You are actually going to the Gentiles. You should be killed. I think pretty much all of us are Gentiles in this room, you know. If Paul didn't go, if he didn't take the gospel, where would we be? See, we were thankful for the legacy of faithful men like Paul, men and women who would, who would risk their lives to share the gospel so that we could be brought into a relationship with Jesus. I want you to note this, that you may do an excellent job sharing your story, that you may share your testimony really well, just with power, and you might build a bridge, and you might gain their attention, and they might listen to you. You might give the details of how you came to Christ and the content of what you believed in, and you might speak very eloquently. And then they still might respond angrily. They they may not have the best response where your story just started meddling. It could be that, like Paul, eventually you got to the point where your story just started meddling in their lives. And they feel the weight of their sin and they feel the ugliness of who they are and they're confronted with their sin and their prejudice and whatever it may be. They say, I don't want to listen to this anymore. See, the responsibility to share Jesus is ours. The responsibility to save people is God's. See, God is in ultimate control here. Control for us, it's a myth. 
God may give bits of control to bits of portions of our life, but it's just something we steward for a little while. Ultimate control is always in the hand of God. But in exercising our responsibility, we got to be able to tell time, you know, and Paul could tell time. If you haven't shared the gospel recently, you're probably not very good at telling time. And we can learn from Paul's example that when you have a passion for people, that when you have a love, a burden for your community, that when you have a desire to share, and even if that means being misinterpreted, even if it means being misunderstood, even if it means being labeled or hurt or even killed, the passion to know and to surrender and to share the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it. And knowing this, having that conviction helps you tell time well. I pray you'll tell it well this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together today. We can celebrate good moms who've loved us well, but even more than that, a Savior who's loved us well. And so, Father, forgive us for when we've, we work on our agenda and we've got all of our to-do lists and things we should do and we fair, fail to see the right moment the right time to step in and share your glorious gospel. God, give us eyes to to see this week. Help us to engage people with gentleness, with respect, and tell them the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We realize we need help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.